Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. All right, we've been talking about this body called the church, this body of Christ that we are part of. And how important it is that we do what? Discern the Lord's body. Understand that the church is the body of Christ. And understand how we are to walk and live our lives such that the Bible says we're walking worthily of our calling. We're walking worthily of the Lord. And we're eating and drinking worthily of his body. It all has to do with us discerning the church as the body of Christ and learning how to relate to, conduct ourselves within the body. There's so much we can enjoy that we will not enjoy until we start doing that. And so last week I I started a sermon which I call the church that God wants, the church that God wants. We didn't completed we really introduced it so I want us to go and we're going to try to complete that message today but I want us to look at Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and we're going to read and minister out of that passage up to verse 47 remember this is the blueprint this is the blueprint this is the blueprint of the church God put this here so we can see what the church he wants looks like what the church he's building is becoming This is the blueprint, and this is where we're supposed to work together with the Holy Spirit and with each other so that God's purpose is fulfilled and we can experience His best. So let's read, and then I'm going to share some things with you, put you in remembrance of some things, remind you of some things today. And verse 42, they continued, let's read together, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, the King James says they devoted themselves. I, I kind of like that. They devoted themselves. This was not something that they just did now and then casually when they felt like it. No, there was a devotion. And you know, when you devote yourself to something, that means you're giving yourself to that thing. You are giving yourself to it. So they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine, which means that you know, they were present like you are on the Lord's day to receive teaching and instruction from the apostles concerning the gospel, the word of Christ. It was something they devoted themselves to. Fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Let's say that. They devoted themselves to doctrine, that is to learning, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. All right, let's continue reading. Then fear or awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. A lot of things the Holy Ghost was doing, a lot among them. Next verse. Now all who believed were what? They were what? Now that is the theme. When you read the the New Testament and you, you read this particular chapter, in this blueprint that God is providing us for the church, this is perhaps the most important thing. They did things together. All right? 
they learned together. They fellowshiped together. They received communion together. And they prayed together, 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 together. Now, that is a simple but very profound and essential truth. We need one another. The new covenant, the way it operates, doesn't operate based upon a spirit of individualism where each of us is concerned about our own personal relationship with God. No, it builds on this idea that we are to be together, learn together, grow together, pray together, do ministry together. We need each other for the new covenant to work, for the grace of God to operate the way God wants it, for the spirit of God to move the way he wants to move among us. We need each other. Very, very important. Unfortunately, we're living at a time and in an age when we are not taught the importance of the group. Uh, we are taught to think in personal terms. Me, mine, I. And not in corporate terms. We, our, us. But the new covenant is based and rooted in this corporate nature of the body of Christ. We are called to learn together. We're called to fellowship together. We're called to receive and to worship together. We're called to pray together. And when we are operating together, then the Spirit of God can work among us and through us in the way God designed this thing to happen, and all of us receive the benefits. And we're going to see that more carefully in the scriptures. Okay? Now, many Christians, saved people, don't seem to realize that. And so, many, many of us don't attach much importance to the local church, to the body of Christ. We don't. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, on the Lord's Day, it's so easy for us to say, well, I'm going to just stay home today. Or, you know, I'm just, I'm going to watch the game today. Uh, you know, I'm going to go fishing today. Oh, it's such a beautiful day, I'm going to go to the park. And on and on and on. Amen? And, and again, I'm not saying you can't do that once here and once there, but when that is a, a, a regular practice, there's something wrong, my brothers and sisters. That's not the way Christ designed us to function. No child would have said to his mother or father in that first century church, 
Tomorrow, Sunday, the Lord's Day, are we going to be, quote, unquote, going to church? That, that, that didn't come up because they knew and they devoted themselves to coming together with other members of the body in order to receive instruction, in order to experience fellowship. I pray that this revelation will become a rhema to each of us so that we start to cooperate with God and really line ourselves up with his will and start to walk in obedience regarding this. Amen? So, they sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with what? Gladness and simplicity of heart. Next verse. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the, the Lord did what? Added to the church. He added to the church. He added to the church daily those who are being saved. I told you last week, he adds no one to the church who he hasn't saved. But then he saves no one who he does not immediately add to the church. Why? Because that's the way he designed this thing to operate. It's a body. And he adds everyone who is saved to this body because this is the environment that each of us needs in order to live, in order to grow, in order to mature, in order to thrive. He puts you in a body. He doesn't put you in the body so you can be furniture. He puts you in the body so you can be a living, functioning member of that body, just like every member in your physical body has a role to play for that body to be built up. So hear me. If you're saved, he's added you to the local church. Now, you can resist that, you can reject that, and you can live and act contrary to that. That's a choice, but that's not a good choice. That's a choice, but that's not an obedient choice. You can resist it, you can reject it, or you can embrace it, and you can, can, can work it out and walk it out in your experience. You say, Bishop, the reason I don't like to, I don't want to be part of church, I've been part of many churches and people got too many issues. Guess what? That's how he designed it to be. Because the truth is, the only people he has to work with are people with issues. Can you imagine if he says, okay, we're going to create the church, but in the church, nobody has, the church I'm going to create, nobody's allowed to have issues. There will be no church. And you should feel good about it because it helps you to feel at home. Amen. It helps me to feel at home, okay? I got issues. You got issues. We all got issues. And that's why we need one another, because we got issues. You follow me? And God has designed for people with issues to come together, because he wants people with issues to learn how to love one another in spite of. He wants people with issues to learn how to serve one another in spite of. He wants people with issues to grow in wisdom, in understanding, as service. He wants people uh, who got issues to learn how to be long-suffering with one another. Guess what? In the process, we develop. Our faith grows, our love grows, wisdom grows. Come on, if you want, a, if you want strong and healthy muscles, you need, you're going to have to 
you got to lift some weights. I mean, if you don't lift weights, your muscles are not going to develop, right? And so he puts us together with folks with all kinds of issues, exposes us to all kinds of things as a way of helping us to develop. The Bible says when we exercise patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, then we, 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 that's how we start to grow and that's how we start to mature. So don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange that people in every church that you will ever belong to have issues. Just realize, you know what, this is part of God's plan. It's not foreign to the plan, it's part of the plan. It is in this environment that we will grow and develop and God will form and shape us into the image of his son. The Bible says Jesus learned, Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. So when we find ourselves in situations where we're getting a lot of pressure, opposition, guess what? He's teaching us obedience. He's teaching us obedience. And as we, as we, as we walk in obedience, we're going to grow and be more and more conformed to his image. It's not pleasant, but it's, it's good for us. In Jesus' name. So, so he asks us to the church, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm appealing to all of us, Let's accept that. Let's not resist that. Let's embrace it. Not, don't, don't allow yourself to have this idealistic but unrealistic view of what the church people are supposed to be like. Because if you do, then you'll never, never be at peace. Okay? So, what does, what, what does God do when you get saved? He does what? He adds you to the body. So, if you're saved, guess what? You're in his body, and now you need to just start living, walking, and talking as though you are. In Jesus' name. Let's embrace it. Fish need water. Birds need the air. Trees need the soil. You and I need one another. We need to be part of the local church. That is God's plan. He doesn't have a plan B. This is his plan. In Jesus' name. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, because I want you to see this is not just Bishop Johnson's idea. I'm not saying this because I want you to, quote, unquote, come to church, because I want you to do something for me. I'm saying this because I want you and me to be obedient. I want God's will to be done. And then I want us to enjoy the benefits of that obedience, because there's so much more I really believe God will do for us together if we, all, if we really start to, to walk in the kind of unity that is being described in the Bible. Let's read this together. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That word consider means stop and think. In other words, he's saying, you know what? I should take some time and think and say, no, how can I encourage sister so-and-so? What can I do to strengthen her? What can I do to minister to her right now? I, I literally need to take time and ask myself, what can I say to her or say to him that would build him up? Strengthen him during this time. We should be giving thought to that. More so than we give thought to what they, people can do for us, let's give thought to how we can build each other up, how we can minister, how we can encourage and strengthen one another. Because all of us at some time in our lives would be in places where we really, really need ministry. And during that time, the rest of the body is supposed to be there encouraging and strengthening until... You or I am strong enough to be start doing that for someone else. 
So let's start considering, giving thought to how we can encourage and strengthen each other. Stir the love and good works, all right? Not, let's read it together, not forsaking the assembling. So apparently, now this was later on, the church started well, and then of course, by the time he's writing Hebrews, they have backslidden, okay? And so they're moving away from the blueprint. And so then now you have some folks who had devolved, okay? They, they, they have moved away from the blueprint, and there are many now who were starting no longer to devote themselves to coming together with the believers. And the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't follow their example. Don't be like those who make it their habit of forsaking the assembly of the believers. Don't follow their example. Okay? He said, especially as we see the day approaching. In other words, the closer and closer we come to the return of the Lord, and all of us are sensing, you know, that the Lord's return is imminent. Again, we don't know, but that's, at least that's what we sense, right? And so the more we sense that his return should be imminent, what should happen? The more I should be committed to assembling with each other. Why? Because we need to be encouraging one another. We need to be strengthening one another. You see, the sheep that is most vulnerable to the wolf is the sheep that has strayed from the fold. But when the sheep are together, especially when they're together with their shepherd, they are safest. And so this is what is driving the wisdom that this apostle is sharing. He says, as we approach the, the, the second coming of the Lord, and as there is more and more pressure being made to bear upon us to conform to the world system, it's more critical now than ever that we prioritize coming together in order to strengthen one another, encourage one another, build one another up, support one another. Don't neglect this. Don't say, I don't need that. If you say you don't need that, you're calling him a liar. You really are. If you say you don't need to assemble on a regular basis with other believers, you are calling him a liar. You're making yourself wiser than the Holy Spirit. We don't argue with God. We just agree with him. We don't have to see his point. Once we know the point, whether we see it or not, we do it. Why? He knows best. We submit because that's what he said. Are you hearing me? So that's the word. Now we can choose, like I said, we can embrace it and be grateful. Well, we can resist it. Uh, but I pray that at Bethel, all of us will embrace the scriptures and will choose to walk in obedience because ultimately it's for each of us, it's for our own good when we obey the Lord. Amen? I know today we're into the iPhone. How many of you got iPhones and iPads? Come on, let me see your iPhone and iPads. Oh, a lot of you, right? My wife is a, what, what kind of, you, you are a Android, Android girl. I'm an iPod, iPad, iPhone guy. But guess what? God is not into iChurch. No. He's not into iChurch. You know, iChurch is, 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 is a church that's supposed to be all about you. 
high church is a church that is just supposed to take care of me and, I, and, and, and it's all about me. That's high church. He's not in the high church. He's into what? We church. Amen. A church where we come together and we care for one another and we take care of each other and we support one another and we build one another. Amen. And what we do, we do not just for ourselves, but we do with others in mind. Raise your hands and say, God, I want Bethel more than ever to be a we church because that's the church you're into. And so what we have here is an example of a we church, the church God's into at work. And so they devoted themselves to the four things we talked about. Now let me just make some comments on those four things a little bit more. Please listen to me. They're important now. And I'm I'm teaching, so you're receiving instruction, right? So I'm teaching. It's important that you hear and that we hear together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, which means, like I said, every first day of the week, they gathered together. They got up and said, you know, our pastors, our shepherds, the apostles are going to be teaching God's word, and we're going to, we got to be there so we can receive instruction. But it was important that they received instruction together. It was important that they were hearing the same thing. Because we read last week in 1 Corinthians 1.10 that God wants us to speak the same thing. God wants there to be no division among us. God wants us to have the same judgment. He wants us to be like-minded. That's impossible if each of us is hearing something else every week. It cannot happen. So for us to really speak the same thing, have the same mind, not be divided, it's absolutely essential that we're all hearing the same thing together. And that's why coming together like you're doing right now is important to the life, growth, and will of God for the church and for you. Now, does that mean that we don't listen to anybody else except our pastors? No. I mean, there are teachers in the body of Christ, and there are many teachers, and today you can, you know, you can listen to a hundred different ones every week. That can be good, but that can be bad. It's, 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 it's bad to listen to a lot of folks if you don't know the word enough to know whether the person you're listening to is actually teaching the word. You've got to be grounded in the word enough to know, okay, yeah, this is sound, this is biblical, this is right. Otherwise, you will hear all kinds of preachers and they will tell you all kinds of things and because you're not grounded in the word, you're going to get confused and you're going to embrace all kinds of doctrines and think they're true. And then when you come to church and your pastor is teaching you God's word, you're struggling with it. So you, it's, it's, it's okay to listen to teachers, but you've got to be careful who you're listening to. And if you don't know the word enough, especially the word of grace, if, you don't, if you're not grounded in the word of grace, because the Bible says, Paul says, I commend to you the word of grace. If you're not grounded in the revelation of God's grace and you're just hearing all those preachers out there, you're going to be confused. You're going to believe all kinds of things. And instead of growing, you're going to just be messed up. You're going to end up being a baby. Or worse. So, be careful who you listen to. And if you're listening to someone and you're not sure that this person is teaching the word, guess what? This is where you can come to your pastors. And you can say, Pastor, I'm listening to so-and-so. This is what he's saying. Is this someone you think I should continue to listen to? If the pastor doesn't know who this person is, the pastor can do some research and say, you know what? He's sound. 
But don't just, just, don't just flip the channel or just listen to anything. I, I got a message uh, from someone recently, and, and uh, this person is actually a minister, and a prophet, quote-unquote prophet, had communicated with him and told him that he was not to go to the church for one week. He was to stay home, not get on the altar, because there were people who were planning to kill him. And they, I guess they were going to use the microphone. And when he, when, he, when, he, when he brought the microphone to his mouth, I guess he was going to heal this thing, and he was going to become deadly sick. They were going to take him abroad for treatment, but he was coming back in a, in a coffin. And so the, the recommendation was, stay home for one week, don't leave your house. Of course, pray and fast for one week, invite some men of God to come and stay there for one week and pray with you for one week. After one week, then you go back. And you t- then you can stand and you can preach. And when you preach, there will be confusion. But make sure you dress in white when you come. When you preach, there will be confusion in the church. The people will, I guess the people who want to harm you will be revealed. And when that is happening, go take your seat and just smile. And then after it's all done, take the men of God who prayed with you and, and sow into their lives. Make sure you give them some money. This is a prophet old. And that's his word from the Lord. And do you know there are many people who will hear that and believe it? And be filled with fear? Stay home, minister will stay home for a whole week because he can't come to church? Aye! So this person was asking what I think. I said, please. I mean, <laughs> unless the gospel isn't true, but again, I'm, I'm just citing that to show you how you can get all messed up and confused. Because, you, you know, you got those people all over the place. So be careful who you're listening to. God has joined you to a local church, and God has given you pastors to teach you. Okay? So it's okay to listen as, as long as you're listening to people who you know are actually teaching the word. And, listen to me, it's important that you know the voice of the shepherd or the pastors God has given you. Let me, let me show you something what Paul had to say about this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 to 17. I, I really hope you're listening, okay? This is the kind of message that you really, really need to hear, okay? 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17. Let's read this. This is Paul speaking together. Paul says, I do not write these things to what? Shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. He said, I warn you. As my children, I warn you. Next verse. For though you might have 10,000 instructors and teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. What is Paul saying? Paul said you need to distinguish between teachers and fathers. Now, you can have more than one spiritual father. I don't believe there's only one father. You can have several. But you need to know that there are fathers that God has put in your life. And the voice of the fathers are the ones you should, the voices of the father are the ones you should be listening to. Mostly. You can learn from the teachers, but don't assign the same weight to the teachers. 
to the voices of the teachers that you assign to the voices of those who are your spiritual fathers or parents. And if you're in a local church, I would think your pastors will fall into that category of spiritual fathering. Read on. Therefore, I urge you to do what? Man, this man has audacity, huh? He said, listen, you follow me. Okay, let me say that. All of y'all. <laughs> if you believe that I am a spiritual father to you and that God has given me to you to teach you and to shepherd you, please imitate me. Now, Paul wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. So God is telling you to imitate, follow an imperfect person. Okay? But God, is God, God knows how to handle that. It's for your good. That's what Paul is saying. It's for your protection. It's for your safety. Next verse. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is what? My beloved and faithful, oh my goodness. My beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Some of my sons in the Lord, you know, they would say, Bishop, sometimes when I'm in a situation and I don't know what to do, I ask myself, what would Bishop Johnson do? Because they can learn from my example. Not because I'm perfect, but they have enough confidence in my relationship with God that they say, you know what, I can learn from him. So Paul says of Timothy, he says, my faithful son in the Lord, who will do what? Remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So what is the Holy Spirit saying? The Holy Spirit is saying, first of all, identify those who God has given to you as spiritual fathers. One, two, I don't think you have a hundred, but there may be several. Identify those people and then learn from them, both by what they teach and by their example, and put yourself in remembrance. Remind yourself of their ways and of their teaching as you are doing life. That is the Holy Spirit's guidance and wisdom for all of us. And that's how you will get maximum value from your involvement and connection to a local church. Okay, are you learning? Okay, so you can, you can learn from other teachers, but make sure you separate teachers from those who God has given to you to be a spiritual father or mother to you, who you trust would teach you God's word correctly. Okay, just like in, the, in, in, in your biological family, we got uncles, we got aunts, we got cousins, they speak to us, we listen, but ordinarily, it's the voice of the Father that carries the greatest weight and should carry the greatest weight in the family. Know the difference in Jesus' name. All right. So, they devoted themselves, what? To the apostles' doctrine. So, they made a priority to come together so they would be taught the word of God from those who God has placed over them to instruct them, and it was important that they all be hearing the same thing because that's the only way they could grow together and truly be one. So prioritize the teaching ministry in the, your local church. If you're part of another church, prioritize the teaching ministry of that church. If you're part of this congregation because God has brought you here, prioritize the teaching ministry and prioritize your participation with other believers on Sundays. 
Okay? But then secondly, they devoted themselves to what? Fellowship. Say fellowship. Now the word fellowship there is what? Quanonia. Quanonia. All right? That word means to share, to contribute, uh, to commune, to partake of. And so these folks devoted themselves to fellowship. And the key here is they devoted themselves to coming together in order to share, in order to communicate, in order to minister, in order to care, in order to build one another up. They devoted themselves to that. And we see how they expressed it. If you were to go to first, uh, the Acts chapter 4, 32 to 35, let's read that. I want you to see how the quantum actually worked itself out. Because many times, we translate that word fellowship, and when we think of fellowship, we think of coming together and having some food together, eating together, laughing together, having fun. And certainly that is a component of the fellowship, but that is not the main reason we come together as believers. Okay? Uh, Acts 4, please. Acts 4. Acts 4, 32. Hallelujah. Let's read that together. Now the multitude of those who believe were what? Of one heart... Do you see that unity again? Do you see the church where God wants that the multitude, whether it's 100 or 1,000, that we are what? Of one heart and one soul? Brethren, this is his will. Let's work at it. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to make it real in our lives. Let's endeavor to do our part to see this happen. They were what? Of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. I saw a nice car out there parked the day. I'd like that car. I think I'm going to go get the keys. <laughs> Says you can't claim your car, your, your Mercedes or your, your BMWs. I saw, you know, I'm, I'm coming for it because the Bible says, eh, for all of us. <laughs> no, that's not what he's really saying. But here's the key here. What you see here is what happens when members truly discern the body and realize that we are members of one another. And she's not other, and I'm other. We are actually one. And we realize I am a part of him, and he's a part of me, and we're one. And because we discern our unity, our oneness, and we then discern that this is the body of Christ, and Jesus loves every one of these, us equally, are you understand? And we discern that. And we are grateful because we see how much God loves us and how much God loves everybody else. And we have faith in God because we believe God the Father loves us and he's taking care of us. We're grounded in the apostles' doctrine. We understand the grace of God. Hear me, when we have that kind of revelation of the body of Christ, of the love of God, of the grace of God, this is what we do without being forced to do it. This is not communism. This is not God saying, Everything you have, you have no right to own anything privately. That's not, that's not what he's saying. You can't have your own house. You can't have your own car. That's not what he's saying. What is happening here is that there are many believers in Jerusalem at that point, new converts who came from out of Jerusalem to attend and participate in the feast. There were a lot of pilgrims that had come to Jerusalem, and they got saved. And many of them could, didn't go right back home. So they were there in Jerusalem, displaced in a sense, staying longer than they had planned. They didn't have their own homes. They didn't have jobs. They didn't have foods. But they were coming to Christ by the thousands. And so they needed to be taken care of. You couldn't say go work. 
There was no job. They didn't have a house to stay in. There were no relatives there, but they just got born again. And so the believers say, you know what? These are our brothers. These are our sisters. We're one body. We can't sit here and let them starve. We can't sit here and let them sleep on the streets. We can't sit here and let them be naked. So you know what? We, because these are members of the body, we are one body in Christ. Christ loves them. You know what we're going to do? We're going to help make sure that nobody's hungry, nobody's naked, nobody's homeless. And listen, we're going to have to find some money to make that happen. And then somebody say, you know, I got a piece of land that I've been keeping. You know what? I can live without that land. I'm going to go sell it and bring the money. Somebody else said, I got some extra jewelry. I got some jewelry. Oh, this is my favorite jewel. Oh, I just love this ring. But you know what? Hey, I'm going to sell it, get some money in order. Somebody, you follow me? So they begin to look around. And those that had money brought money. Those who didn't have money but they had possessions, they sold their possessions to have money to make sure that the needs of the brethren for food, for clothing, for shelter, those needs were being met by God through them. Do you follow me? So the principle is not you can't own anything. The principle is don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. When God blesses you, don't see it as only for you. Amen? Be a blessing to others. Be willing to share and at times be willing to sacrifice things that you own for the sake of those who need it and don't have it. This is not to encourage laziness. Someone, the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. So you don't support that. But there are people who are widows, there are orphans, there are people who've lost their jobs, there are people who are going through a crisis. And what we're saying here is that the church that God wants is a church where the members, the members, all of us as individual members, not pastors, not deacons, but all of us as individual members see a need to be a blessing, to encourage and strengthen one another, even with our physical possessions. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, remember them? They came, and he got in trouble, and then the wife got in trouble. And why did they get in trouble? Because they sold their land, and they kept part of the money for themselves, and they brought part of the money to, the, to Peter. But then they said to the apostles that they were bringing all. And so the trouble that they got into was because they lied. Peter said, Ananias, why are you lying to the Holy Ghost? The land was your land. Nobody forced you to give it. You didn't have to. You could have chosen to keep your land and you would have been alive. God would not, that's your choice. That was your land. And he says, after you sold it, I don't know how much money you got, but all the money you got when you sold it was your money. You could have kept all if you chose to. You could have given some or you could have given all. That was your decision. The problem is, you're lying. You're being a hypocrite. That was what he was judged for. Are you hearing me? So that proves that this is not communism. You are free to give and are free to withhold. But if you have a revelation, if you properly discern the Lord's body for what it is, and you understand God's love for you, God's love, and you have faith in God, you would not hoard Amen? You will be a channel to meet the needs of people and be a blessing. Amen? And we really want that to happen here more. And, and, and you know, we started this initiative uh, a couple of years ago now, I think even more, where we came up with the Bethel Shares website. We still don't have the thing operating the way we want to, but I'm, I want to see it happen. Because I am convinced 
There are people who have needs here today that there are others who will be glad they're willing to supply. And the only reason your need isn't being met is because nobody knows you have that need. Somebody here is desperate and needs $100. There's somebody else here who can give you $100 and not miss it. And the only reason you don't have it is because they don't know you, ha you have it. So we've got to find a better way to, to, to bring those with needs uh, together with those who are willing to supply. That's the way the church is supposed to function. Our brothers and sisters should have their basic needs met. Quickly, let's move on for the sake of time. And the next thing they did was, the Bible says they, they devoted themselves to, go back to Acts 2. They devoted themselves, oh no, stay, stay right where you are. They devoted themselves to prayer. They did what? We know they devoted themselves to the, to the breaking of bread. I'm not going to spend time on that because that's the communion. I think we've taught on that a lot. So we're going to go to the fourth devotion. They devoted themselves to what? Prayer. Now, he's not talking about individual, private, personal prayer. He's talking about corporate prayer. You, you remember, everything they're doing, they're doing together. They're learning together. They're fellowshipping together. They are breaking bread together. And they are what? Praying together. They devoted themselves to coming together and praying together. Because they understood that corporate prayer, united prayer, released God's power and brought more glory to God than any other type of prayer. When people in the body come together and pray, my goodness, God is able to do so much more. Are you hearing me? So look at, look at, look at Acts, Acts 4.32, and let's read it. Now the multitude of those who believe were one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that anything he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common, verse 33. And with what? With great power, the apostles give witness to the resurrection of the dead, and notice that. Great grace was on, upon them. Great grace. So they came together. There's a, there's a, the story in Acts 4 is that Peter and, and, and John and was arrested, and they were brought before the Sanhedrin, and they were told never to preach on, in the name of Jesus anymore. And after they beat them, Peter and, and John, the Bible says, they went back to their own company. That means they went back to the church, their own company. And they rehearsed what had just happened to them. And then the scripture says in Acts 4, 24, they, they, they lifted up their voice and they prayed. Notice, there were many, I don't know how many persons they were present in that meeting. There could have been 100, there could have been 50, there could have been hundreds of people, their company. But the whole of scripture says, they lifted up their voice and they prayed with one accord. But notice, the scripture says they raised their voice. Not their voices. There were a hundred individual voices, but God heard one voice. Amen? Because God heard only one voice, the voice of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ has only one voice. Are you hearing me? So we may be a hundred here, we may be a thousand here, but when we lift up our voices, that each of us is using our own words, we're praying our own prayers, but God, by the Spirit, hears only one corporate voice. And the Holy Spirit takes all our individual prayers and he forms a perfect prayer. 
Because the Bible says, and they prayed, and then the Bible tells us what they prayed. They prayed, and they said, oh, Lord God, they did it, it. So it was one perfect prayer. The Holy Spirit had taken all the individual prayers and formed one perfect prayer, and he said there may be 100 people praying, but this is what they all prayed. 100 voices, but there was only one voice. They were in one accord. And what happens when they pray like that? Read the text. The Bible says the place they were standing was shaking. Heaven responded in a way that had not happened before. Heaven responded, and the place was shaken. And notice what the scripture says. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, everyone got blessed. No one was left out. Are you hearing me? When they prayed corporately, when God released the blessing, it came upon every single one of them. And then the next verse says, great grace was upon them all. You see, there's grace, and then there is, oh no, you, you can experience different levels of grace, my boy. We, we're all experiencing grace, but grace can go from glory to glory. There's a level of grace I can walk in today, I can walk in a greater level. There's a level of grace I can experience today, I can experience a greater level of God's grace. In my finances, in my health, in my ministry, in my family, in my career, I can experience levels of God's grace. Hallelujah. And so I want to go to the next level. I want to go to the next level of experiencing God's grace. And the scripture says, when they came together and as one body they prayed, God heard one voice. The corporate voice of the body of Christ. And that caused God to release not just great grace, not just grace, but great grace upon every single one of them. So they went home, and some of them experienced that they were healed because that was the grace they needed. Somebody else got a financial breakthrough. Somebody else, family came back together because God's grace was being manifested and God's spirit was working in all of them as a result of them coming together and with one voice, as God would have it, a perfect prayer was formed and presented to the Father. And God answered, may we become the church that God wants. May I commit myself to working with the Holy Spirit and working with you to be the church God wants. May you commit yourself to working with the Holy Spirit and working with me and working with one another so we can be that church. We can experience great grace and we can experience corporate blessings where everybody, not just here and there, but everybody has a testimony. Everybody is experiencing God's grace in different unique ways because we're functioning as one. God is not into the I church movement. He's into the we church. And God is raising up Bethel and speaking to Bethel and speaking to us to cooperate with him, to work with him. And we know the enemy is gonna fight us. So this is not something that's gonna happen without a fight. But let's battle, let's pray in the spirit, let's battle, let's use our faith, let's, whatever resources, spiritual weapons God has given us, let's bring it to bear so that God's will is done and we become more and more the church that God wants, the church we need, 
and the church, the world must have to know that Jesus is the Son of God. In California, they have the, what they call the sequoia, sequoia trees. And I understand these trees are massive trees, uh, you know, 20 to 26 feet wide. And they grow up to more than 270-something feet high. And they live a thousand, some live a thousand five hundred years, so that's a long time. And can you imagine the amount of storms and winds and uh, rain and, and, and even in California earthquakes that these, these, these trees have had to, to deal with over the course of a thousand years, and yet they are alive and yet they're strong. And you would think that the secret to their strength is that they have deep roots that go deep down. No. The secret to the sequoia, the reason they're not falling and collapsing, but they're standing after 1,000 years, is they have interlocking roots. In other words, they're next to each other, and their roots don't go that deep, but their roots go wide. And they wrap their roots around each other. And because they're interlocking roots, when the wind and the storms rage, when the, when the, when the, when the, when the earthquakes happen, Amen, because they're not just depending upon their own strength. They're drawing strength from one another because they're interlocking their roots with one another. They've been able to survive for over a thousand years. That is God's plan. Don't focus on just having roots that go deep. God is into the we church, brothers and sisters. Yes, go deep, but go wide. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.